ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. The long-awaited counter-offensive in Ukraine has begun. In what could be a pivotal moment in the almost 16-month-old war, Ukrainian forces are battling to retake cities occupied by Russia. Today, a former US State Department security advisor on what the front line looks like and what the renewed fighting could mean for the future of the war. I'm Max Bergman. I'm the director of the Europe-Russia-Eurasia program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, uh, CSIS, in Washington, D.C. Max, we know this counteroffensive is underway in Ukraine because the Ukrainian leader has confirmed it at a press conference with the Canadian Prime Minister. Is that a usual thing to happen, do you think? Well, I think it's it's now abundantly clear to uh, to the Russians, at the very least, that the counteroffensive is underway. Counter-offensive operations are underway in Ukraine. I'm in touch with our commanders. Everyone's positive. Pass this on to Putin. It is important for me to be here in person to show Canada's solidarity with Ukrainians as they continue their courageous fight for their democracy. So this has been no secret that the counter-offensive um, has, has been underway now for, for probably about a week in sort of full force. So it's not a surprise that Zelensky would confirm that it's happening, given that it's abundantly clear to uh, everyone on the battlefield that it's happening. We were told, though, Max, weren't we, or it was reported at least, that this was going to be a spring offensive. So it's obviously delayed. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there was a number of factors that went into this that, you know, the Ukrainians had fought a very bloody war for a year. They had made uh, significant gains in the fall, in the the winter uh, of 2022, but they had also had significant losses and they were waiting on Western equipment uh, clearly to arrive. And so I think part of the decision was you could sort of continue to try to go on an offensive with a force that was somewhat exhausted, or you could take your time, regroup, and then retrain uh, thousands of forces mm. on Western equipment, and then wait until the Russians have exhausted themselves, which is what has happened over the last five to six months, where the Russians have gone on an offensive, made almost no gains, and then try to seize the initiative. So now, Max, I want you to paint a picture for me. Where are these battles taking place and what areas are the Ukrainians trying to take back? Well, the battles are taking, taking place along a very long front line that extends uh, sort of across southern Ukraine. So from the Dnieper River eastward to the Donbass region, which is in the, the far east of Ukraine, and then goes uh, northward. Part of what is happening right now is there's a, a fight going on over the now uh, sort of famous or infamous town or city of Bakhmut. 
Ukraine is now going on a counteroffensive there, and so that's in the Donbass region uh, in the east. But I think the main action that we're going to see is in the south, and that's where uh, Ukraine, in, in various different lines of advance, is trying to make progress, basically to try to both to cut off the land bridge, so to speak, that connects Crimea and the Donbass, mm. but then also to make gains further south so that they can start striking Crimean territory and, and to regain more control, in particular over the territory along the Dnieper River, because that's going to be critical in the future for Ukraine, because that's how Ukraine gets its agricultural goods to market. Maintaining sea access is actually critical for the future economic vitality of Ukraine. Yeah, okay. And Crimea, Crimea is critical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Crimea, you know, Crimea is uh, considered by Russians to be part of Russia. Of course, it was Ukrainian. Um, mm -hmm. uh, after Ukraine broke uh, away and gained its independence from the Soviet Union, Crimea was part of Ukraine, has been internationally recognized as part of Ukraine. Uh, it was seized by Russia in 2014. For the first time since the end of the Second World War, a European country is about to seize territory from another nation, a treaty signed to formally make Crimea part of Russia. Russians and so I think if Ukraine can really put Crimea under threat, it will demonstrate to the Russian public that they're losing this war, that they're on the cusp of defeat. It really puts the legitimacy of the Putin regime potentially under threat because he started a war, the gains, there have been almost you know very few territorial gains, Russia has been internationally isolated, there's uh, sanctions, there's been lots of casualties, and now we're on the cusp of losing Crimea. I think that that, that creates uh, a lot of concern within the Kremlin. That's where you could see Russia potentially threaten to use tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield, in part because of how uh, vital Crimea is seen to the Putin regime. Mm, okay, and Max, can we return to that point of the military hardware that's coming from the West? How important is that for Ukraine in this counteroffensive? I think let's be clear, it's everything. Mm. The UK and the United States, together with more than 50 partners, have committed historic levels of security assistance to Ukraine. And I want to thank the Prime Minister for his It is what is enabling Ukraine to fight what is a global military power, despite all the Russian military's deficiencies. This is still a global military power uh, to a standstill and, in fact, uh, not even stand still, but begin to push it out of its own territory. And without it, Ukraine would be finished. This is where the, the West has essentially made it so that a bigger, stronger nation, such as Russia, at least militarily, doesn't have the advantage in this conflict. And so if Western support, whether that's the United States, whether that's Australia, begins to dry up, then I think the hopes of, of Ukraine also dry up. And so that's where this is the, the great leveling. And it's critical that we not only continue to support Ukraine, I think for Ukrainian purposes over the next few months for this counteroffensive, but we also need to start thinking about the equipment that is inevitably going to be lost because they're going on, you know, what is a really arduous offensive campaign will need to be replaced. You know, this is why wars are terrible. This is why wars are terrible decisions because they're incredibly costly. And, you know, but I think that's sort of the cost uh, uh, for the West of standing up for a country that's standing up for democracy. Yeah. Okay. And as you mentioned, the counteroffensive has only been underway for about a week. But Max, do we get a sense yet of who might be winning this? What do we know so far about who's succeeding? 
Well, I think right now we're it's, it's sort of too early to tell, and that's never the answer that anyone wants. Mm. I mean, not to compare uh, lives and deaths to a sporting event, but it's sort of the first minute of the, of the match. And so I think it's very hard to tell. What is clear is that the Ukrainians have already suffered some losses. Those have, have made the rounds on social media. But it's also clear that the Ukrainians have, are making some gains, and that's also making the rounds on social media. We're driving the enemy from our homeland. It's the most pleasant feeling. Ukraine will be victorious. Ukraine says it's liberated three villages in the southeast of the country in the first victories of its much-anticipated counter-offensive. And so the question, I think, you know, how much Ukraine can advance without sort of being attrited, I think, is the, the major question. This is going to be a slog, and I think that's, that's what's playing out. Mm, it's already been such a long slog for Ukraine. Of course, there was also that devastating collapse of a dam in southern Ukraine just as this counter-offensive was, was getting underway. Floodwaters are expected to peak in Ukraine's Kherson region after yesterday's attack that destroyed the massive Kahovska Dam. Ukraine says tens of thousands are at direct risk from the flooding. While hundreds I mean, this is a real flashpoint, isn't it, of this war? Yeah, no, I think, look, you know, sometimes we're sort of stuck in what appears to be a current stalemate, but it's not, it's only really been the last six months. And, you know, this is, this is the kind of battle rhythm that wars take where there's intense action and then there's a long periods of kind of buildup. And we're now, I think, entering a period of action. And this is where history can turn. This is where dramatic things can happen. This is where things can really shift very quickly. And I think that the destruction of the dam demonstrates what a humanitarian disaster and catastrophe wars like this are. 15 months into this war, it's hard to believe life could get any worse for these people. But the water from the Kahuska Dam is swallowing up their homes and their towns in southern Ukraine. This is the responsibility of the invading force that has caused what is an ecological crime that has, you know, now put a nuclear reactor under threat that has put large swaths of the Ukrainian population on both Russian occupied and Ukrainian territory uh, under real strain. It just represents the kind of what a, what a catastrophe this has been and also demonstrates the challenge that Ukraine will have once this war is over and it has to rebuild. And Max, is there any other way other than this military action that could end this war now, do you think? Or it has to be fought out on the battlefield in this really brutal way? So I think, you know, everyone would love if there is an ability to have a, a, a peaceful end to this conflict. Unfortunately, the only person that I think can really determine that is Vladimir Putin to withdraw his forces. Right now, there is no way that Ukraine, after losing so many people, would give up the fight to try to push the Russians out, especially since they feel that they currently have, and I think they're right about this, have a military opportunity and potential military advantage to do so. And let's be clear, if there was sort of a, a ceasefire right now today, I think that would be seen by Vladimir Putin as something that he could sell as a win. And I think it would be an utter catastrophe for Ukraine. Because as I mentioned earlier, for Ukraine's economic vitality, they need to have access to their major river. They need to have access to, to the sea. And this would basically cause them to lose much of that access. So I think there's, you know, unfortunately, fighting is going to occur on both sides. 
Wars end when the losers of those wars say that they've had enough. And right now, Ukraine is feels like it's winning. Russia is probably losing, but Russia has not decided that it's had enough. And so that's why this war, I think, is going to continue. Max Bergman is the director of the Europe, Russia and Eurasia program at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies based in Washington, D.C. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, says it's too soon to say exactly where Ukraine's counteroffensive is heading, but the U.S. government is confident that Kyiv could continue to have success in trying to take back land seized by Russia. It's been reported Australia is now also considering sending 41 retired RAF fighter jets to Ukraine. This episode was produced by Veronica App-App and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.